Think back for just a minute, if you can. I know that as time goes on, as they tell me, it gets worse and worse, that the memory seems to either voluntarily or involuntarily forget things that happened years ago. And so if you can, think back to, to kindergarten. Now, I realize for some of you, so I didn't even go to kindergarten. When I was in school, they didn't have kindergarten. We walked uphill both ways, you know, barefoot in the snow. I, you know, I understand all that, all right? But think back, if you were in kindergarten at some point, or if you were once five or six years old, which would then inc- I know some of you were born grown up. I realize that. You just, you never were immature, you know, you never were a child. I, I get that. But pick, imagine if you were five or six years old. And, and think about some of the, the lessons that you learned back then. You know, as, as we teach our kids and so on, it's amazing what they learn at such an early age. And, and obviously their minds, their brains are just like sponges, just soaking things up, which is sometimes not always good. Realize that, and I know that from having three small children myself, and I just think, where did they learn to say that that way? And then I'd look in the mirror. And so, you know, that's the way it is. But I have, a, I have a daughter, Lucy, who's in kindergarten. And I'm amazed at all the things that she's learning. And she's learning how to write and how to read. And she's in a classroom every day and learning how to relate to other kids besides her brother that sometimes she doesn't get along with. And, and you know, it's, it's just lessons that they learn. And, and it's not always just skills that they acquire, but certain life application sort of things. And I came across something this week, and maybe you've heard this before, but I, I thought it was, it, it is true that, that everything I needed to know, I learned in kindergarten. If you've been an educator before, you've probably come across this, or maybe as a parent, you've, you've read this, but there was a guy named Robert Fulgham, and he wrote this. He said, all I ever really needed to know, I learned in kindergarten. Maybe you can relate to this. Most of what I really needed to know about how to live and what to do and how to be I learned in kindergarten. Wisdom was not at the top of the graduate school mountain, but there in the sandbox at nursery school. These are the things that I learned. Share everything. Play fair. Don't hit people. Put things back where you found them. Clean up your own mess. Don't take things that aren't yours. Say you're sorry when you hurt somebody. Wash your hands before you eat flush. Warm cookies and cold milk are good for you. I like that one. Live a balanced life. Learn some and think some and draw and paint and sing and dance and play and work some every day. Take a nap every afternoon. That'd be nice. When you go out into the world, watch for traffic, hold hands and stick together. Be aware of wonder. Remember the little seed in the plastic cup. The roots go down and the plant goes up. And nobody really knows how or why, but we are all just like that. Goldfish and hamsters and white mice and even the little seed in the plastic cup, they all die. And so do we. And then remember the book about Dick and Jane and the first word you learned, the biggest word of all, look. Everything you needed to know is in there somewhere. The golden rule and love and basic sanitation, ecology and politics and sane living. Think of what a better world it would be if we all, the whole world, had cookies and milk about 3 o'clock every afternoon and then lay down with our blankets for a nap. Or if we had a basic policy in our nation and other nations 
to always put things back where we found them and clean up our own messes. And it's still true, no matter how old you are, when you go out into the world, it is best to hold hands and stick together. Everything I needed to know, I learned in kindergarten. It's not the writing and the math and the reading and all that stuff that's really most important. It's those foundational life things that, that if you get them, if you, if you get it and you, and you apply it and you really understand it, then it will serve you really well throughout your life. Think about it just for a second. Between kindergarten or that time of life, age five or six, and now, however long that's been for you, how many of these things have you said, you know, I wish I'd learned that just a little bit better? I, I wish my life was just a little more balanced because, you know, I'm all about work all the time. Or I'm, I'm all about this. How many of us think, golly, I, I wish I'd learned that a little better in kindergarten? How many of us think, man, I, I just know people or in my own life, they just don't clean up their own messes. They, they don't apologize genuinely to somebody when they hurt somebody. I mean, goodness, what a difference it would make if these foundational just basic things were applied in our lives. We learn those things very early, and they almost seem too simple. And we think there's got to be something that's more complex in life. I mean, certainly, you know, the, that, the, this, you know as this guy mentions, graduate school, that's really going to teach me. But he found out that all he really ever needed to know, he learned in kindergarten. You know, there are some things in every area of life that are just like that. Think about the jobs maybe that you've had. There are things in your job that if you don't get certain basic, just fundamental things, you're not going to be able to do your job at all. And you probably know people at work like that. They, they didn't get it early. And so as a result, they're not any good at what they're doing. They're just sort of winging it from day to day because they really didn't get the foundational things, the things they had to know and they had to learn. They didn't understand it. And in sports, if you don't learn the basics of whatever sport you're playing, you're not going to be very good at it. Because you won't understand the rules of the game. You won't understand just the fundamental things that have to be done. As a, as a husband or wife, think about it. If you didn't understand some basic fundamental things about marriage and about the opposite sex, it's not going to work. Now, don't elbow anybody and say, see, he's talking to you. That's not what I'm, you know. That, but under, that's just that's the way it is. Some of you have experienced that. When you just said, God, I just didn't know the fundamental things and it didn't work. It just didn't work out right. Think about parenting. I happen to be a parent, and I realize there's a lot of fundamental things I've got to learn. Because sometimes it just doesn't work. Because I didn't learn the fundamental things. Every area of life has things like that. Relationships, to work, to whatever it may be. Some things that you just have to get. We've, we've been in a series for the last couple of weeks, and we'll finish this up next Sunday morning. As we, as we have our Easter service next Sunday, we'll, we'll finish this series. It really has its foundation, and you don't have to turn to this passage of Scripture, but it has its foundation in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, where Jesus, in, in speaking to the Pharisees, the guys that he was really sort of against all the time, he, he tells them in this one line, he says, it, it is the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. And if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you've heard me say this. The whole premise of what we're talking about, we really don't need a verse for this, but I'm glad that Jesus threw one in there, that we know that whatever's on the inside of you is eventually coming out, good, bad, or otherwise. It's going, it's going to overflow. And so if that's true of us as, as just people, it's also true of Jesus. And what he said about those Pharisees was true about him, that, that what was in his heart he was going to be talking about. 
And if you know the words of Jesus at all, most of them are in red letters there in your Bible, you understand when he starts talking, it reveals something that's going on on the inside of him. And so our focus leading up to Easter has been, if we can understand his words, what he was saying, and understand that that's an overflow of his heart, then we'll see what his heart was all about. What's going on inside of him? And if we can understand his heart, we'll understand the direction he was going and the direction he wants us to go, his will. So if we can understand his words, we can understand his heart. If we can understand his heart, we can understand his will. And so we've, we've focused on the last words of Jesus, the, the words that he spoke leading up to his crucifixion. And we'll look next week at some words that he spoke after his resurrection. And, and those words are sort of his last words, his his last will and testament, so to speak. And certainly, if any person in here we knew was uttering their very last words, we'd pay attention. What do they have to say toward the end? And so that's been our focus as we look at the last words of Jesus. And, and I, I really believe that the words that we'll look at today, the words that Jesus spoke, very simple, very, very short, but the words that he spoke today, I really, I, I really think they highlight something we just got to get, something that's foundational. Something that we say, that's, you know, everything I ever needed to know kind of comes down to that. But I, I, I want to put before you that I really think few people ever really get this. And, and I would venture to say that very few people in here, just because we're people, very few people in here really get this and live by it and understand it and have it come alive in your life. I really believe that few people get it. I, I think, though, that it will change your life. I think it will be something transformational in you. It's a kindergarten-style truth, but it's, it's unbelievable in how it can change your life. Now, last week we talked about Jesus during the Last Supper where He uh, took the time to wash the disciples' feet. If you were here last week, then you saw me climb a ladder and wear an apron. It was really great. And so uh, what we looked at was that true greatness is not found in climbing the ladder that the world has to offer. But true greatness, as demonstrated by Jesus, is found in humble service. That in the moment when He could have commanded all those disciples who would either betray Him, deny Him, or run away, could have commanded them one last time, bow down and worship Me. And instead of doing that, He took on the role of the lowest slave in the house, and He washed their feet. Something He didn't have to do that was completely unexpected. And he served the people that really didn't deserve it, that would eventually turn their backs on him. But he demonstrated true greatness is found in humble service. Picture Thursday night of, of a week. That's when that story took place, on a Thursday night. Between Thursday night and Friday morning, a lot happened, and we pick it up this morning on Friday morning. So from last week to this week, Jesus has been betrayed, he's been denied, he's been arrested, put on trial, falsely accused, convicted of a crime he didn't commit, He's been mocked, he's been beaten, he's been spit on, he's had a crown of thorns shoved on his head, he's been made fun of over and over and over and over again, and he's carried his cross to the place where he'll be crucified. And that's where we pick it up today. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to look with me in Luke chapter 22. Luke's over in the New Testament, third book in the New Testament. If you don't know anything about the Bible, but if you have one close, then look off of it. You can go to the table of contents, obviously, and find out where Luke is, and please don't feel embarrassed about that. We want you to to understand the Word of God, we, we like the Bible here, and we hope you will too. It can change your life. I encourage you to read it. It's good stuff. Luke chapter 23, verse 32. As I said, all that other stuff is taking place, and this is sort of where we pick up the story. 
right after Jesus has carried his cross up to the place known as Golgotha, verse 32 says this, Two others, criminals, were also led away to be executed with him. When they arrived at the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, because they do not know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots. The people stood watching, and even the leaders kept scoffing. He saved others. Let him save himself, if this is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also mocked him. They came offering him sour wine and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription was above him. This is the king of the Jews. Pause there for just a second and understand sort of the the scene that's going on. Jesus, along with two criminals, in some versions known as thieves, was nailed to the cross and hung there to die sometime on Friday. And so a week before he has entered Jerusalem to a big parade, and now he's hung on a cross by the very people that worshipped him that Sunday before. And so we have him there hung on the cross, and it's not over then, because it's not as if they hang him there and walk away. They continue to hurl insults at him. They they divide up his clothes and sort of gamble for him. Who's going to get his clothes? That's all the possessions he has in the world. And two criminals were hung with him, and And they are even shouting insults along with everybody else. And they're questioning who He really is. If you are God's chosen one, then save yourself. You've healed all these other people. You've performed all these miracles. And you can't even get yourself off the cross. And then the title above Him, the inscription, was His charge. It wasn't an effort to praise Him. It was a charge against Him. This is the King of the Jews. That's what He was charged with. And so we continue, verse 39. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Now, before we get on this guy too much, if I'm hanging there with Jesus, and I think he's got some kind of power to take care of business for just a second, I might be talking to him a little bit as well. So understand, that's just a human response. Now, granted, it comes out of a sinful heart, but boy, I'm telling you, if Jesus is hanging there and I know he's got some power, we might have a little conversation while we're both hanging on a cross. Take care of business. Save yourself and us, he says. But the other answered, verse 40, rebuking him. Don't you even fear God, since you are undergoing the same punishment? We are punished justly, because we are getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This man has done nothing wrong. We're getting what we deserve. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then verse 43, the words of Jesus that I want us to focus on today. And he said to him, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Those words, you'll see on the back of your bulletin, the way you can sort of follow along if you enjoy doing that, just to kind of keep up with where we are and engage by your watch how much time I've got left. I understand how that goes too. But the words of Jesus that we'll focus on, Today you will be with me in paradise. Now remember, as I just talked about, all the things that have happened, that he has, by his closest friends, been betrayed, denied, and run away from. And then by people who should have worshipped him, and in fact did a week before, 
he's been convicted of blasphemy, which he obviously did not commit, and now he's sentenced to die, and he's hung on a cross. That's all happened. They've mocked him, spit on him, beaten him. And think of all that is happening. While he's on the cross, people are still hurling insults at him. And so in the moment when he could have been wallowing in his pain, he speaks these words, Today, you'll be with me in paradise. You ever been in a, in a moment where you just think, you know, I, I, I've got a lot going on here. Um, I know you've got some issues too, but I, I, you know, it seems like I've got more in my life than what you're dealing with, so let me deal with my stuff, and you go find somebody else. You've been there before where you just felt like, I've got a little bit more going on than you do, so please leave me alone. If I'm hanging on the cross, that's my response to this guy. Do you not get it? I mean, do you understand? Okay, number one, I'm suffocating to death because I'm hung on this cross. I can't breathe. I'm fading in and out of consciousness because my blood pressure keeps dropping. That's what happened during crucifixion. They pass in and out of consciousness. I'm hanging here on the cross. Not only that, but I'm taking on, do you get it, the sin of the world. My spiritual condition now is completely different than it's ever been. Emotionally, I've been betrayed and abandoned by every friend I've ever had. My mother's the only person, a couple of other ladies, that actually care about me. And it's in that moment when this guy begins to call on Jesus. If there was ever a time for Jesus to wallow in his pain, it was now. My words to this guy would have been, sorry, too late. i I, I got a lot going on here, and you know what? I, I'm hurting. And it's not just physical. I'm hurting spiritually. I'm hurting emotionally. Sorry, pal. Maybe, maybe if you had done things differently in your life, you wouldn't be in this situation. Maybe if you hadn't been the criminal or a thief, you wouldn't be hanging next to me. My words might have been a little different. Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Those words reveal, obviously, his heart. And I want you to write these three things down before we unpack them, just so we get them down and we begin to focus and let these three words just sort of resonate with you today. If you, if you leave thinking about nothing else, leave thinking about three words. Compassion forgiveness, and hope. That was what was in his heart. His words to this thief, this criminal, today you will be with me in paradise, reveal his heart of compassion, his heart of forgiveness, and his heart of hope. Let those three words be what we think about as we unpack them and then as we leave. I mean, think about this thief on the cross. His words in verse 41, We are punished justly, but we're getting back what we deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then it, he calls on Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. I mean, think about what led to this point for this guy. He looks back, has to be reflecting on his life just a little bit, as he hangs on the cross, looks back and sees what is most likely perceived by him to be a completely wasted life. I mean, think about if you're that person and you look back and you say, you know, I'm, I'm getting what I deserve. Think about the, maybe the reflections you would have, the, the lessons you'd remember from your parents that eventually you said, nah, I'm going a different direction. Then the choices you made over and over and over again. Crucifixion was, was not for just any particular offense. Crucifixion was for the most despised criminals. So this guy wasn't just sort of, hey, let's hang a guy on a cross today. It was because he was despised. And so he's got to look back over his life and think, 
you know what? Yeah, I'm, I'm getting what I deserve. You know, I should have gotten this a long time ago, really, as I think about it. I mean, I've done so many things in my life that if everybody really knew all the things I'd done, they'd have crucified me a long time ago. And he's got to look back and think, why did I make those decisions? I mean, why has my life been this pattern? What's, why? It must have been, for him, in his mind, no chance. You know, just give me what I deserve. And now he's crucified, which was meant to be a public warning to other people. Look, if you do what this guy did, then here's what's going to happen. It was also meant to be public so that people could walk by and throw insults at these people. You're finally getting what you deserve. It's about time. It was a great disgrace, and as I said, it was only for the most despised criminals. And so as he reflects on his life, this wasted life full of sin, full of lost opportunity, full of bad decisions and unwise choices that led to to him being on a cross, and as he experiences the physical pain of all of this, it's in that moment that he received compassion. It's in that moment that he received forgiveness, and he received hope from Jesus as this criminal places his trust in Jesus in the very last moments of his life. And Jesus didn't say, sorry, too late. Should have done things differently. Maybe then you'd have a chance. He said, today, you will be with me in paradise. This criminal, at the very lowest point in his life, looking back thinking, what has been the point for me? I'm getting what I deserve. It's at that moment when he receives compassion, forgiveness, and hope. And what we've got to get, the kindergarten-style truth today, that's very simple, but few people really get it, is that that's the whole message, the whole point of the cross. That's it. There is no other message and point of the cross but compassion, forgiveness, and hope. That's it. And it's huge. Compassion. He did, Jesus did, out of love, for that criminal and for us, what we could not do for ourselves. We could not overcome our sin. That criminal had no chance there on the cross. Jesus did for him out of compassion and love. He took our place and what we deserved. I don't even think I can fully get my mind around this, but somehow play along with me for just a second. Jesus, hanging between these two guys, dying for the sin of the world. This other guy next to him, dying for his own sin, for his own choices, for his own crimes. It's in that moment that somehow, miraculously, spiritually, Jesus now takes his place, even though he's still hanging on the cross. Even though, in a sense, the world is still paying him back for what he deserves, he's off the hook. It's been removed. And now Jesus... He's not only taking the sin of the world, but this guy's place who's hanging next to him. I'm not even sure I totally understand all that. But it's incredible that even though this guy was still going to go through what he had to go through, that his sin was forgiven. That he had some hope. That he had received, even in his darkest moment, when he didn't deserve it at all, compassion and forgiveness. And Jesus, at the same time, taking away the sin of the world, takes this guy's sin away who's hanging there for his own sin. Incredible. Compassion is a purpose and message. Forgiveness is death. The death of Jesus paid, paid the price and covered our sins. I, 
I'm convinced that just because we're human and because we have more than, than one or two people in here, that we have people here today who are under the impression that there's something in your life that simply can't be forgiven. It, it's just, just too bad. It, it's just, you know, golly, it's just been a habit for so many years. Surely God is not, not going to let that go. Based upon the authority of God's Word, not because I stand here perfect in any way, but based upon the authority of God's Word, I can tell you there is nothing that the blood of Jesus can't wash away. There's nothing. So stop beating yourself up. Stop. I'm convinced very few people get this. Because we beat ourselves up over and over over things that we've done or situations that have happened, and we, we hold ourselves responsible. But the message of the cross is about compassion and forgiveness. When Jesus died, it covered it all. Every bit of it. Everything you've done, everything you're caught up in now, and everything you're going to do, it's covered. Does that mean you just go on sinning because, well, big deal? No, Paul talks about that. Read what he wrote and you'll figure it all out. But understand this, that it's covered. There's no sense in beating yourself up because Jesus isn't beating you up. He took it. And he said, here's compassion. Instead of condemnation, here's forgiveness and, 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 and hope. Here, here it is. So stop beating yourself up. There's somebody today, I guarantee you, more than one person, because I know because I've been there, that we just think, you know what, if you only knew, I don't have to know. I don't really care to begin with when it comes right down to it, because the only person that matters is Jesus Christ, and He said it's forgiven. So stop beating yourself up if that's you. It's done. It's over. It was paid for 2,000 years ago. Praise God. We don't have to answer for that stuff anymore because He eliminated the penalty of our sin. I don't have to beat myself up over the things I've done wrong or what I'm caught up in now. I don't have to. It's done. And you don't have to take my word for it. Look at what Jesus did for this thief on the cross today. You will be with me in paradise, revealing His heart of compassion and forgiveness. And He also revealed His heart of hope we have hope because it's all washed away. It's gone. I have hope that He fixed it all. I have hope that He grants eternal life and, and then real hope that things here, things on earth, I don't have to wait just for heaven, but things on earth can be made right. Things can be different in my life because there's hope because of the cross. It's, it's hope that's not tied to your circumstances. Tell you what, in our, in our society today, we have hope only if things are going well for us. Do we not? But thank God that the hope that Jesus brought through the cross is not tied to whether our economy is good or bad. Whether our health is good or bad. Whether our family is going the direction we want it to or not. Whether we're doing well in school or not. Whether anything happens to be great in our lives according to our standard. The hope is not based upon that, but, be, but based on the truth of Jesus Christ. In that moment, the thief who had no hope, according to anybody else and himself, received hope. Today, you will be with me in paradise. You talk about hope, that that's all he could have, because he's dying. That's it. And he received it right there on the cross as he's dying. You see there the very last part of your outline. It says, His will. His words reveal His heart, which reveals His will. And that part's left blank for a very specific reason. 
And, and the reason is this, because I don't know, based upon the compassion, forgiveness, and hope of Jesus, what God's will is for you today. I don't know what part of this directly applies to you, but God does and you will find out. And so it's not left blank for it to stay blank. If you're not a person who writes on the back of the bulletin, I encourage you for just a minute, maybe somewhere, maybe it's there, but I want in just a second, I want you to be prepared to write something down. And it's not going to be on the screen behind me. It's not some prescription I can give you. It's going to be because God has revealed it to you. His will for you ultimately is for you to know Him. I mean, this thief obviously found the will of God to know Jesus there on the cross. For some of us today, I, I, I want to ask you, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Now, this thief had nobody to point him to Jesus except Jesus himself. Some of us have so many people in our lives that give us evidence that Jesus is real. We've been in church for a long time. We've heard the stories, and yet we, we still, well, I have more questions. I need all the answers. This thief didn't need all the answers. He didn't need them. He knew Jesus was who he said he was, and that's who he placed his trust in. What are you waiting for? There's no time to waste. You know, some people will twist this scripture and say, well, this guy in his dying breath asked Jesus to forgive him, and he did. So you know what? I, I've got some time here, because I don't perceive myself yet to be dying. And so when that gets closer, and I feel like that's probably imminent, then at that point, sure. I mean, doesn't everybody call on God in their last couple of moments anyway? I mean, you know, every, every preacher preaches about God at their funeral and all that stuff. I'll just kind of hold off because, yeah, you know, I've still got some questions, or I've got some things I'd like to do. Clearly, the truth is that it is never too late to turn to Jesus. That's one thing this thief shows us. But also equally true is the fact that none of us, as you well know, have any idea when our last moments are going to be. None of us. And so how foolish is it, incredibly foolish, to think, well, I, I can put that off a little bit. My commitment to Jesus will happen, sure, yeah, but, it, you know, I, 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 like this thief, I'll just do it late. How foolish, what are you waiting for? His will is for you to know Him. His will is also for compassion to be applied in your life. Because He loves you. I, I have to admit that this idea that Jesus loves me and God loves you and all this kind of stuff sort of gets a little bit numb. I sort of become immune to that at certain times because it becomes cliche. We see buttons and stickers and bumper stickers and all these things. We hear it every Sunday and all that kind of stuff. And sometimes we can get numb to it. But I, I want you to think about this for just a second. There's somebody who's never really understood the message of love from God because your life has not been full of love in any way. You think back to your childhood and, and your parents never told you they loved you. You've had broken relationship after broken relationship and you've sought for love and it hadn't happened or it's been cheap or it's been conditional. The nature of God's love is so completely different from the nature of human love that if we get it and understand it, it'll change your life. You may already be a Christian, but if you truly get what the love of God is all about, it'll change your life again because it's unconditional. It's not based upon how good you are and now you've earned more. It's not based upon how bad you are. Well, I better do something good so I can earn some. It has nothing to do with us at all and everything to do with God and His character and His nature. And I'm so thankful for that. 
Because if it had something to do with me, I would have de-earned a word. I don't even know. I would have not earned His love a long time ago. I'd have been out. Because I'm a sinner. I've messed up. But I praise God that it's not based upon anything that I have done. Some of us need to just simply meditate and let that wash over us. And He loves you. And it's unconditional. And you can't be good enough to earn more of it. And you can't be bad enough for Him to stop. He loves you. For some of us today, we just got to leave with that. We just got to leave with, you know what, I'm going to stand on that truth because nobody's really ever loved me in my life. But if God does, that changes everything. Because He gives us value, not because of what we can do or haven't done or whatever, but because of His love for us. His will is not only for compassion, but also for forgiveness. Where does it need to be applied today in your life? Is there maybe something today that you need to confess to the Lord? Maybe to somebody in here? Where does forgiveness need to be applied? Where is it you need to stop beating yourself up because forgiveness has already happened? You just need to move on and say, I'm done with that. You realize God doesn't want you to stay in that point, but Satan does. Your enemy wants you to stay right there beating yourself up because he's got you. He hasn't taken away your salvation or anything like that. That's not even the point. But what he's done is rendered you completely ineffective. He wants you to beat yourself up over and over. But God says, no, no, it's time to move forward. So for some of us, the will that you'd write down today is, you know what, I need to confess this because this is eating me alive and I've got to get rid of it. I want God's forgiveness for this in my life, whatever it may be. Or I'm going to stop beating myself up about this. Maybe you'd write that down. Maybe as we close here in just a few minutes, you'd say, you know, I just... I'm gonna, I need to talk to somebody and say, you know what, I haven't really wronged you. That's not even the point. But I just want you to know, here's what's going on in my life. And I know if I only confess it to God that somehow I'm a little more likely to do it again because nobody else knows about it, I'm going to come clean with somebody today. Say, so here's the deal. What is it that needs to be forgiven today? What is it that needs to be confessed? And what is it you need to stop beating yourself up about? The Lord's will is for compassion, for forgiveness, and then for hope. This thief experienced hope on the cross. And based upon the entire Word of God, I can say to you, don't give up. Don't give up. Because when you know Jesus, the end of the rope never comes. The end of the rope never comes when you know Him. You may think you're at the end of the rope, but there's no end of the rope with Him. There's no bottom of the barrel when it comes to Jesus. There's not. The the Word of God is clear over and over. There's no bottom of the barrel. There ain't no end of the rope. Because when you know Him, you have hope that, that is unexplainable. There are certainly recent examples in the news of people who thought there was no exit, thought there was no hope. If you watch the news this week, you know. If you've watched the news for the past year, it's amazing. How many people think, you know what, there's no way out but to take the lives of others and then mine. There's no way out but to do this, but to do that. There's no, there's no hope for me. My life is at an end, so who cares anymore? Our world is full of hopelessness. In your marriage, with your money, your family, your job, your health, your school, all your relationships, you may find areas of your life where there seems to be no exit no way out, no hope. 
But Jesus, as He showed there on the cross, He is the exit. And He is the hope. And it's not tied to your circumstances, regardless of what they may be, but it's tied only to Him. And that changes everything. Because if He can save that thief on the cross, and He can save you, and if He can extend compassion to that criminal on the cross, and He loves you too, and if He offered forgiveness to that guy whose life was one decision after another that led him into sin, then surely to goodness His forgiveness is for you and for me too. And if that guy in his dying moments could experience the hope that Jesus had to offer, then that hope is real for us today. And when you experience dark moments, tough times in your life, when your family just isn't what you want it to be, when you've lost your job, when you don't know how you're going to pay the bills each and every month, when things seem to have no hope whatsoever, when you look at your life and say, what's the point? It's in that moment that if you know Jesus, then there is hope that can be applied to you that you can never even explain. It's in those moments when you remember the message and the power of the cross and you live in that hope that Jesus brings. So we have to get this. We have to. If we're going to be the people God wants us to be, we have to get it. It's, it's kindergarten style. You've heard it before. You think, okay, great, God loves me, I'm forgiven, yay. But you've got to get it. You've got to understand it. I've spent a good portion of my life not fully grasping the implications and full meanings of what Jesus did on the cross. And instead, spent that time in guilt and shame over things I've done beating myself up for things that I should have done differently. Why did I make that decision? What's the deal with that? As I've mentioned to you before, I became a Christian at age 8. Every sin I remember committing has been as a Christian. Every one of them. I knew I needed a Savior at age 8. No question, my decision was real, but I don't remember a lot before age 8. And so, my life has often been marked by beating myself up over things. This week... God taught me something new. As He opened up for me what the message of the cross is all about, compassion, forgiveness, hope. Because of the cross, there's no more shame. Because of the cross, we don't come before God as broken down sinners and losers. Because of the cross, we stand before Him completely forgiven and washed clean. Get that. Understand that. When you stand before God, 